Hello, and welcome to You Should Hear This, a podcast for the everyday association professional. I'm Nick Estrada, your host. At the core of most associations, our job is to provide our members with professional growth, programs, services, and resources. As we deliver on these promises, it can be easy to fall into a pattern and not think of any change. We hear all the time how change is necessary to stay current, but where do we start? How do we reevaluate our events, programs, and services, even if they're doing just fine? What's the approach we can take with our boards to see the change through so we aren't last ones to make that change? Our guests today will be able to navigate us through all of these hurdles and more. Tanya Suits, CAE, ION, is the president and founder of Centric Association Management. Her experience includes event planning, board and governance relations, committee and volunteer management, day-to-day business, developing and managing certification programs for clients, and much more. Tanya has a Bachelor of Science from the University of Indianapolis, and in the past 10 years, she built and developed a successful association management company alongside a large national insurance-related association. Welcome, Tanya. Hi. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. You know, this is going to be, I think, a really fun conversation. I think this is always one with associations that can be hard, right? Like, A, we're so people say we're slow to change sometimes. And sometimes these things that are with us for a long time are some of the hardest things to change. But before we get to that, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, how you got to where you are today, why you enjoy association work? Absolutely. Actually, my career as, you know, my my career started as a uh, educator, actually. So I taught for the first 12 years of my life. I was an administrator and I just fell out of love of doing certain aspects of that job. And so I had the opportunity to move into the association world and was hired on to be an operations support specialist. And with that job, I had an opportunity to do a lot of data management and build reports. And I'm kind of a geek when it comes to that data stuff because I enjoy it a lot. And so it was just right down my alley. And when I was hired, they asked me to then help support an internal society group and assist with managing their affairs and that board. And so that was actually my very first opportunity to start working with boards and understanding how associations and and societies and things like that worked. The association leadership, leadership felt like I did a great job with that group. I had huge success in increasing their membership, and we developed a scholarship program uh, with that organization. So they asked me to lead and manage the new internal association management company that they were developing internally because, you know, their thought was there's probably a lot of associations out there that are insurance related that probably need some support as well. So from that time going forward, I was involved as the leader, started out as manager, moved to director, and then and finally, ultimately, executive director. I led and oversaw all of the association services that we provided from event management, like you said, board governance, marketing, communications, membership management, volunteer oversight, all of it, the program, everything. So then over the next nine years, I supported and led more than 180 board meetings, (laughs) planned and developed and executed more than 228 virtual, hybrid and in-person events and led a team of four employees at the end. This past summer, that association reorganized their departments and eliminated my job. 
<laughs> so ultimately I was like, well, okay, I got to make a change here. So I immediately formed my own association management company, like you said, Centric Association Management LLC, and signed our first client within three weeks of its formation and my second client within two weeks after that. So congratulations. We're That's rolling exciting. forward. It was very it's very exciting. And we focus on providing quality customer-centric service to provide solutions for their success. So that's my career in a very tiny nutshell. <laughs> well, it's exciting to, you know, I think a association management, I'm biased, obviously, but I think uh, <laughs> association management, I think is, is great, right? When we can see that wide variety of what different associations do. Um, and so I think that'll lend really well to our conversation today as we start to see how we can kind of really address the we've always done it that way um, yes. kind of crowd, right? So our topic today, right, is really helping us to identify when something needs to change. You know, I think I'll, you know, be interested to hear your your kind of thought on this, but you know, as you look at the programs and services in an association, you know, and that could be events, resources, whatever, right, that we provide folks. You know, people may have heard the terms uh, or the kind of phrases, right? We've always done it this way. It's a sacred cow of the association. You know, we can't touch that. It's always going to be around, you know. So as, as we hear those kinds of things, what does that mean in your perspective in terms of, you know, programs and services, right? What do all those phrases kind of resonate with when it comes to that? I believe that those were products and services and events that were planned some time ago, not today, maybe not last year, but maybe many years ago, but that's not necessarily the case. It could be anything that an association does that has always done been this way, where no change has occurred, no evaluation of that event and how it serves its mission and purpose, mission and vision of the organization, or how it serves its membership. No evaluation of that has occurred because it's just something that we have always done. And so that is where you get, you know, that term um, or, you know, well, we can't change that because, well, you know, the original founder created that event. And if we change it, then it's not going to align with what we're doing today. Yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned, right, like the founder, right? Obviously, some associations are very old and some are very young. And right. it's entirely possible, right, that an association could still have some of its original members um, that are around. And so, yeah, I could see how that could be hard to get rid of a program that maybe one of them created. But as we look, right, we recognize that associations have to change. I think if we look at the past few years, right, obviously, there have been a lot of things that are challenging us, that are pushing us to look at what we do differently. So how do we know when a program or service probably needs to have an update, or we might need to start having that difficult conversation of, is that even still needed? Right. This is an excellent question. And, you know, one that leading associations actually do very well. Staff leadership and the board that governs the association truly needs to utilize data throughout the year from their events and programs and feedback from the membership to continually shift and rise up for the need to change. The pandemic was a really great catalyst for many associations to shine light on whether they effectively did this or <laughs> consistently did not. <laughs> because if that pandemic, when the pandemic hit, then I have a feeling that there were a very large number of associations 
who really struggled with that dramatic change in how business was being done. So as leaders, we have to have a pulse on our programs and services at all times and adjust based on need. And often it's easy to plan programs that are carbon copies. You know, we sign the same hotel contract that we had the exact same meeting space last year, the exact same event, you know, at whatever. Or, you know, we did this, you know, award, you know, it's a gigantic ring that nobody would want to wear or anything like that but that's the always the award that we always gave or here's mm -hmm. a plaque that we always gave to people that nobody wants to ever hang up on their their wall right so what associations should really do is survey the attendees and the membership of these events and activities and those who attended should be asked what needs to what needs that they have now or anticipate in the future and those who didn't come or attend or participate in the service or product, those people should also be asked why they didn't participate and what needs to happen in order for them to attend or participate in the future. You know, sometimes, you know, we're not able to shift to meet every need. I mean, we're, that's just unrealistic. But if 80% of your association says they can't attend events during the week now because of the current labor shortage, then a Saturday event may draw more of your membership. Mm -hmm. So that's a you know prime example of how current trends can affect your future planning. You know, what difference is it to you if you sign a contract with the hotel with the same location and the same space, but on Saturday next year instead of the Friday? Yeah, I think the the interesting piece that you just brought up there, right, is asking the people who aren't taking advantage of our programs and services. I, you know, I think we, I would say most associations do a really good job, right, of asking, you know, to, or those, that feedback, right, from people who've been to something or who are mm -hmm. utilizing a service. But often I don't think we're asking who's not there. Um, and I think you're right, that could provide a really interesting perspective that helps us shift maybe what we're doing. Um, yeah, because that, that 20% that's engaged, you already have them. Yeah. That you already have them engaged. What do you need to do to make sure that you get a larger portion of that? Because 20% is not a very large portion of your association. And that's a lot of effort that's going into something that is impacting a very small portion. Absolutely. As we look at, okay, so in that sense, right, the, the conversation we were just having is on the we have a program, people are utilizing it. We're looking at how we can maybe change it up a little bit to get more people to utilize it. But there are definitely moments, right, where we've got some programs or services that are no longer doing really well. <laughs> Staff know it. Board may know it. Uh, they may not be ready to admit it yet, right? So how do we approach those conversations around some of those things that, again, have always been around and we always do it, but it's just not working anymore? Do we approach that differently? Absolutely. Most of the time, like you said, like you were leading to, staff leaders are the first ones <laughs> who see that change is needed. You know, they're the ones that are knee deep in that data every day that effectively drives those decisions. They see the registration numbers that are falling and how they've correlated to prior years. They see the decline in revenue and for, for particular programs and services. And so they're the ones that you know, know it before anybody else. They are the ones that are having the side conversations occasionally. You know, they get an email from a member who says, 
hey, you know, I'm just not going to participate in that because of X, Y, Z. So there are three things that staff leaders need to do to prepare for this conversation of reevaluating their, their events or their program or their services or whatever it is that needs to be addressed. The first thing that needs to happen, staff leaders need to compile that data. They have to be a data geek. If you're not a data geek, you got to figure out a way to either become <laughs> one or have someone do it for you. If you don't have the information to lead the discussion, you're only going to get questions of, well, why should we change? Things have always gone great. Feelings have to be translated into numbers. The second thing you need to do is outline the data that explains what is currently transpiring with the program or event and a written document. That's super critical because, you know, whether it's a memo or an executive summary, it's really critical because board turnover happens so often and mm. you'll have people who haven't been in their position for very long. So they may not even really know what that is. They, they may not have even had a chance to experience what you're talking about. So you have to outline everything from start to finish. This is the original reason why we started it. This is where it started. This is how it's transpired over history and how this is where we are today. You know, while you as a staff leader may know the event has been done the same way for the past 26 years and attendance has gone down from 79% to 21% of the membership in that period, mm -hmm. you'll have volunteer leaders who are very either new to their position or new to the association and are just interested in, in helping lead that they will not know the history. So providing written memos and executive summaries that outlines the background of the event and the program and where it stands today in advance of that conversation is highly critical. Mm -hmm. You cannot walk into a meeting and expect to tell everything verbally and get an immediate consensus. Oh, yeah, that's right. You should just go ahead and do it, right? It doesn't happen that way. If you can, we'd like to know your secret. <laughs> that's right. While we know that our volunteers all have outside jobs and they may or may not read it word for word or at all, we know that for sure, right? Giving them what they need to effectively lead their association in advance of the conversation is highly critical. Mm. The last thing that we need to do as staff leaders, and this is really super important, and you know, I, I have experienced this several times over my association career is that you have to talk to your board chair or president in advance of the conversation with the full board. That person needs to know as the head of the association, they need to understand the dynamics of the conversation, the data that's been pulled and will be utilized and the possible outcomes that the board can determine your board leader is your ally in this conversation and they're going to have to be prepared and understand in advance so that they can provide guidance throughout the conversation and not be blindsided at, at all. Yeah, I think that last one is so important, right? You don't wanna come into a meeting where you as um, you know, the chief staff executive or even just a general staff member, right? A director mm -hmm. or whatever, right? Who has a reporting opportunity at the board meeting to come in and just say, we're ready to close this program or, or kind of <laughs> get rid of this entire service that's been really important to, especially, you know, I think it's, when you think of the board, right? They're going to be some of your most highly involved and engaged members. So for them, the the idea and the concept, this 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 thing we've done for a long time isn't working is going to be like, what, what do you mean? 
<laughs> all, all of us around this table use this thing, right? And so I, I would agree, yeah, getting your board chair to be on your side for that conversation is paramount. Absolutely. And I really also like, uh, I'm also a data geek. Uh, I, I like spreadsheets. <laughs> I like to look at all that. And I like the how you mentioned that, right, which is turning feelings into numbers. We're not discounting that there are feelings tied to these, but we're really saying that we have to put some numbers behind that to right. not just have this be the reason we're getting rid of this is because I don't like it anymore. Right. right. We're, sh we're showing how maybe it's detrimental to the future success of the association. Absolutely. So you've mentioned, you know, getting our board chair, you know, on our side, but how, when we look at the rest of our board or some of our other volunteers or even just general members, right. Recognizing again, that board members and members are very different kinds of members or even some of our own staff, right. If a staff member has been around for 20 years, um, and you're looking to change something, they may hmm. know that this is just always how we do it as well. So how do we approach though that audience uh, when we're dealing with some of these potential changes or how we might look to um, shift kind of a historical program or service? There are definitely specific groups of people that you're working with. You know, I mentioned the the newbies, the people who are brand new. Uh, then you have your long timers. Often these are your traditional members who have been around and they're long standing. You know, they're the ones that will get up and cheer the loudest and can be very important to every conversation. They have personally witnessed the program and have seen firsthand the change in response to, from the membership. You know, they have actually been there. They have been a part of it. They will also be the ones who will have those strong feelings to keep your program because change is hard, mm -hmm. just period, change is hard, especially if your organization is not one that has consistently adapted and risen to the need of change over time. If your organization is just running day to day and just clopping along and has not consistently been looking at the data and the evaluations and looking at how the membership is addressing what is being needed, then this conversation is going to be a lot more challenging for you than mm -hmm. other associations. But the great news is, is that does not mean that the conversation is doomed to fail because every single person that's involved in your organization wants to see it to succeed no matter what, no matter mm -hmm. how long they've been a part of a, the member, because your association provides value and serves a purpose that is needed for your membership. That right there will be, it will be your backbone for your conversation when considering change. And I don't think that there is even a group that wouldn't even consider that, that wouldn't keep that in the back of their mind that, you know, I really don't want to get rid of that, but you know, I didn't see a large, I didn't see a third of the state at our association meeting, uh, especially when it was, you know, a third of the southern portion of our state didn't mm. even come. Okay, so well, we need to address that issue. I think that that is always going to be in the back of their mind. The data and talking about the current mission and the vision of the organization and if this program or event still fits will really ultimately be the deciding factor. You'll, you're going to have remorse for good times that have passed. <laughs> I, I promise you, and you know, the, it, it's going to be, and it may, it may take a long time for those feelings to change, no matter how great our shift in a program is. Okay. Uh, but 
collectively adapting and changing a program for a promising future will really generate those same feelings for the and you know the future reward of their new outcome of whatever they choose to do. Yeah, I think those conversations are really important because I think it helps people feel like they're being listened to, right? Those programs and services that you're talking about, right, were created for a reason at some point. And so figuring out like what even within those could continue to live on, right? Just because maybe an event stops doesn't mean every part of it has to stop. Right. Um, You know, I think about, you know, award ceremonies, right? There are probably things that exist in an award ceremony now that are named after someone, named after an event, right? Whatever, right? We've, We've found new ways for some of those old traditions to live on that, you know, I always think it's interesting too, when we look at things today, like, is that actually how it started? Or is that just all how we all think it started? <laughs> um, right. And, but all those are a big part of that, figuring out again, what is it? Why are you here? What's that mission? Again, going back to your point, that backbone. Okay. Well, if we all want this to be successful, then we've, we've got to look at a change in how this looks a little bit. Right. You, okay. So you mentioned, right. There's three things for approaching this conversation, right? So translating our feelings into numbers, written report of the history and the context and the habit of how we got to where we are and get your board chair on on your team, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we've done all those things. We are looking to maybe get rid of something that has been around for a long time at a board meeting. Walk us through, what's that board meeting look like um, in your experience as you get ready again, to maybe get rid of that. Absolutely. In in my years of experience, I have come to learn that the one most prepared for this conversation is ultimately me. (laughs) As the one that has been knee deep in the data and just knows what direction this really should go, in Mm. my opinion, I'm the one prepared. Uh, Like I mentioned before, people are busy. You know, they have full lives outside their volunteer position. They may even have families. They may even have second jobs. They may even be part of other organizations. So we as staff leaders, we need to come into the meeting with that sense of understanding, understanding where our leadership is coming from and be prepared to be patient. We may have to review every bit of those materials that you meticulously put together. But that is okay because that is our jobs Mm -hmm. as staff leaders is to provide the board the information when they need it, where they need it, and how they need it so that they can effectively make decisions for their organization. I've worked with over 12 different associations in the past 10 years through my work with the AMC, and I have never experienced a board meeting where every single board member has read (laughs) the materials and is thoroughly ready to to discuss from minute one. So I'm, you know, I'm just keeping it real. (laughs) But knowing this, you know, we need to be patient and talk about the data and the needs of the membership and keep that as our focus. We also have to understand that there are people in the room, like you said earlier, who ultimately made the decision to create and develop the program initially. And there might be some very strong feelings of ownership. And there may be Mm. even very strong feelings of like, you're taking this away from me. I've worked with boards of all types, very large boards where we've had 30 plus members, very small boards of five leaders, all men boards, all women boards. 
every organization and leadership structure is different. So walk into your meeting with an understanding of who you are helping come to the decision for change. You know, you have to think about who is, who is making these decisions? Because if you come in and just bowl through this conversation and be like, hey, you have to make this decision and you have a very touchy-feely board or a very <laughs> strong, I wanted, this is really important to me kind of board, you're going to have a real big challenge. But just walk in knowing your association, knowing your board and meet them where they come, you know, where they, when they walk in the door, meet their needs and provide them whatever it is they need when they come in so that they can understand that the outcome of the change can be just as exciting as that initial thing that they created. Yeah. Your patience piece, I think, right. Again, can be very difficult for association professionals. I think, as you mentioned, right. The staff side, we're some of the first to see that these programs aren't working typically. Mm-hmm. And so we're the ones who are like, all right, well, it's time to you know, scrap that. We've seen what some other associations are doing, or we can see what the business world is doing. And what if we tried this, right? Um, I think a lot of the times we're we're more open in some cases, I wouldn't say all, right? But we're more, we're more open or, or more willing once we've made the decision that it should probably go away, we're ready to make that happen. I think your patience piece is really important because it may not be decided in that meeting. It may not be decided in the next two meetings or the next three. Um, You know, you may have to keep revisiting this conversation over and over for a year or two even, right? Sometimes, which I know as we, (laughs) I say that some of us are like, what? Uh, I I have to wait that long to just make this, this again, to us, what may feel like a small change, but to our members and our board feels like we could potentially be severing a portion of the identity of the association. And so I, I think, yeah, you're right. We have to be really respectful of that. And again, come with those those listening ears to actually, when they ask a question, not just immediately answering it, but actually saying, okay, I hear you. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's how we could address that concern, right? So I'm going to take all your concerns today. Staff's going to hear those. We're going to come back with some additional ways that we think we could address those. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, that patience piece is going to be a huge one in this conversation for sure. As we think about just addressing, um, and I'm going to maybe particularly pick on events here, right? I think the concept of events really got challenged in the last couple of years by necessity, right? We kind of had to. It was illegal, (laughs) right, in most places to hold uh, physical events. But um, I think that gave us some new opportunities and some new options. But as we're thinking about events specifically, do you have any tips to kind of reevaluate or reimagine um, what those could look like, and then how we take those back to our boards to continue to say, "Here's if we did this differently, here's what we could see." Absolutely, I I am a very passionate person in terms of uh, when I get some, an idea in my head and it aligns with the data, I get very excited about, "Oh, we could do this and that and that and that." So, the one thing that I have to remember is that. I have to be prepared for unexpected outcomes. And what that means is when you walk into a meeting and you've got the data and you've looked at it all this time and you know, hey, we just tweak this and we could probably do that. I could get really excited about that outcome. But then you have a board member who has a very strong connection with a portion of your membership you don't get to connect with very often. And they come to the same meeting 
and they blow your mind with an outcome that you hadn't even thought of. <laughs> it, it, it can totally derail, derail a staff leader. <laughs> but the great thing is, is while you as a staff leader may have envisioned what change might look like, your volunteer leaders, they are the members of the organization and they may come up with ideas that surprise you that you had never even considered. Yep. So you have to be prepared for a different outcome than what you initially came in with. And you can't get upset if they don't go with your direction because they are the leaders of the association. It, like you said, exactly. It's hard as a staff leader at time. I, I bleed the colors of the association that I serve. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I am fully invested in its success and I take an active listener role because they are the ones then that they have to decide what they want their future to look like. Mm -hmm. you, you can't, you can't be the one in charge of the conversation. And it's going to be very difficult to just sit back and let them talk about what it is that they envision for their organization. It's a very challenging role. And I am not always successful, <laughs> to be honest, sometimes. But you know, while volunteer leaders are sharing and discussing the event and how it can be transformed over time, we need to be mindful that not to squash that active conversation and try and mold it into what we think it should look like. Another tip that, you, you know, you will need to be, like you said, I, I truly feel that the key to this is patience. Highly functioning boards adept to change and redirection they may be able to move quickly from that one conversation, maybe. But that doesn't if that doesn't define the association you serve, you're going to probably have to take things very, very slowly and at, move forward at the pace of the board and their comfortable their their comfortability with making change. And and uh, you know, one organization that I recently worked with. They're trying to decide if they really want to do a second event of in the year. They're like, well, mm. you know, we we've always done it this way. And but it's so much work and we're not really getting a whole lot of net profit from that second event. It's very low attended. Maybe we just wait a year and talk to people a little bit more. So they're in that conversation right now of whether they even want to do that second event. And I applaud their willingness to just hold on signing any contracts with any hotels until they really get more data from their membership. You know, I think that they're going to probably move forward with a second event, but it may look completely different when than the original one. So. It may just need to be a, a time to take a step back. And like you mentioned, it may be multiple meetings. You may need to get more data. You may need to make more surveys. You may need to make phone calls to specific key leaders in your organization. It could be a variety of other things, but all of these are really critical to the success of the future or the, of the organization. Yeah, I really like the well, I guess I just kind of keep going back with a lot of what you've said, right? Which is the, again, what is our ultimate goal? Mm -hmm. Why are we doing the thing we've done for so long? And how can we maybe keep that same piece, that same goal in mind, but just deliver it differently? I mean, that's really what we're coming down to, right? I think yeah. about that, even if I just look at, you know, we look at social media, right? A lot of social media advances, they all do the same thing. They all connect us 
They all allow us to feel heard or to share what we're doing, but each one has done it in a slightly different way, right? And so I think that if we think about ourselves in a similar fashion, we're all associations, but we all we all bring our own special flavor and, and kind of what we can do to the forefront. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think we just keep, uh, we meet them where they are, we bring the data and we share the story about why just, we're doing yeah. that. Yeah, and really help guiding that conversation back to what is our mission? Mm. What is our vision? Is this aligned with our mission and our vision for our association? Is this what our membership came to us to get from, you know, is this what they are wanting from us? Mm-hmm. And continuing to readdress that that specific question, is this a part of our mission and vision, will really ultimately get you there. Absolutely. Well, Tanya, this has been a great conversation. You know, I think this is an important one. And I'm sure lots of folks would have a lot more questions and we could go on and on. Again, recognizing that these conversations don't typically happen in one meeting. So if folks, uh, well, actually, before I ask that, you know, just any other kind of last minute words of advice or or things that, you know, might be a misstep for folks so that they want to pay particular attention to this? Absolutely. The I think the key takeaways is you have to be in the data. If you're going to encourage change in any aspect of your organization, you have to be providing the data for your leaders so that they can effectively make that change. Really, that ultimately is the lead. And I have recently worked with a board who has said, who said to me at a meeting, I had developed the board materials and I provided them some data on their publication that they do. And I provided them analytics of their readership Mm. because it's an online publication. And they said to me, we've never even seen this. Our publication has been a part of our community for decades. And this is the first time we're actually seeing any analytics because it was not the habit of prior leadership. And So you have to bring, there's no way you can effectively and make fiduciary decisions for your organization if you don't have the data. So I encourage all leaders listening to this to become that data miner. And if you're not a person that likes that, then find someone who is who can do it for you. (laughs) Make a new friend. That's right. Well, again, thank you very much for being with us today. I I appreciate this conversation. If folks are interested in getting in touch with you to learn more about your perspective on this, um, how can they get in touch with you? How can they reach you? You can contact me at Centric Association Management at 317-509-6793, or you can contact me via email at tsuits, that's T-S-U-I-T-S at centricserves.com. Perfect. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of You Should Hear This. If you have any questions you'd like answered or future topics you'd like for us to explore, please send us an email at info at isae.org.